You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. A song for those journeying to worship. From the depths of disaster I appeal to you, O Eternal One. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But with you, forgiveness exists. That's why true respect of you might flow. So So I I wait wait for the the Eternal. eternal. My soul awaits rescue, and And I I put put my my hope in his transforming word. My soul waits for the Lord to break into the world. Even more than night watchmen expect the break of day. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Good morning. How is everyone? Good. Well, that was the word of God for the people of God. From Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Now, I'm going to get back to that in a little while. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into each one of those eight verses. Uh, But I want to start off talking about relationships. We're in a series, beginning a series called Forgiveness. And what I want to do is remind us that relationships are really our greatest non-material need. Now, I just made a statement that religious and secular experts will agree with, that we are social creatures that we exist and we thrive fully through healthy relationships. Christians believe that we first and foremost require a healthy relationship with God. We need that to happen vertically. We would say that once that occurs, we are then open to have healthy relationships horizontally with one another. But even still, uh, secular, non-Christian, non-faith-based Experts, again, will say that we are relational creatures and that we need relationships with each other. Now, there was a best-selling book in the year 2000. I don't know if you recognize Dr. Phil. Yeah, there he is. He's got a show that's all about people that can't have relationships. Sorry, that's the best Dr. Phil I can do. But he has a show because relationships break down, right? We get into relationships with each other. We harm one another, we do what we call sin against each other, and then relationships break down. Now, when that happens, we typically try to do a lot of different things to mend those relationships. We work at communicating better. We might go to counseling. Christian and other faith-based people turn to God. And there are a lot of different approaches. Dr. Phil has his, and and many others will say that there are uh, solutions for our relationship ills. But really, underneath virtually every one of those efforts to fix this relationship crisis that we have as the human race is the issue of forgiveness. You see, I could just say, I want to start communicating better with my wife. That's going to solve all of our problems. And you know what? I'm going to be a better dad if I get off of my cell phone and my devices and I pay more attention to them. If I could just be nicer to people that I, that I don't get along with or that I have those personality conflicts, right? Those, those issues with, then that's going to fix my relationships. But will it? 
Will it? Will there still be something underneath that is causing conflict and friction and unhealth in those relationships? You see, if we recognize that we need relationships, and yet we recognize that in those relationships we harm one another, we sin against each other, and if we recognize that unless there is someone in here different than me, we keep doing it. (laughs) We keep harming one another. So how do we get to the bottom of this relationship issue? I'm going to propose to you today, I'm going to propose that Psalm 130 is going to give us the solution, and the solution is forgiveness. I'm going to do first a description of an unforgiving person. I'm going to uh, possibly step on a few toes. One of these descriptions will step on my own, and then we're going to move to a description of a forgiving person. Let's see if we can't paint a picture of what an unforgiving and forgiving person looks like. So the first, the description of an unforgiving person, the first thing is that an unforgiving person passes the pain on to others. You see, an unforgiving person holds on to something in a, to an extent that it creates an atmosphere, an environment in the relationships that they have in the family most closely, and then in other areas that starts a cycle. Really not much unlike addiction or abuse or greed or gluttony or poverty even. We talk about cycles in all of those areas of life and in our culture. Unforgiveness produces a cycle where when you see unforgiving parents, you're almost surely going to see children who have fostered this inability to forgive, this heart toward unforgiveness. Now, when I was thinking about our culture at large, and I was thinking about um, where this is uh, sort of manifesting itself, this cycle, I, I look at the American political system. Now, I'm not here to make any political statements, but from on the outside looking in, I notice this just deep-seated unforgiveness that each party in our political system has toward the other. And it has been a cycle that has continued And until someone in a prominent position of power decides to forgive the other side and start anew, the cycle will definitely continue. The second thing an unforgiving person does is lives with anger and resentment. You see, I like to think of forgiveness as a disease. And if forgiveness is a disease, then the symptoms are anger and resentment. Have you ever heard the phrase, time heals all wounds? Anybody? Time heals all wounds? You get, that is not true. <laughs> that is a cliche that is about the biggest load of you-know-what that I can think of. Time does not heal all wounds because the reality is we either get better or we get bitter, right? If you hold on to unforgiveness in your heart and it's manifesting itself in anger and resentment, you will get bitter and you will not get better. One of my favorite Nelson Mandela quotes, Nelson Mandela spent 27 years wrongfully imprisoned in South Africa during apartheid, and he's got this quote. He says, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Wow. Now you could look at his situation and say, that guy has a beef against the people who imprisoned him for 27 years. That was not fair. If he, anybody, is justified in holding on to unforgiveness, it would be Nelson Mandela, right? 
Yet, after all of those years, he walks toward his freedom and he says, you know what? I'm leaving unforgiveness behind. That is a disease I want cured of. I don't want to hold on to that. I don't want to be a bitter person. I want to get better as I walk out of here and then inspire a nation and the entire world. The third thing, an unforgiving person chooses to live in the past. Now, we're going to learn in upcoming weeks how in this forgiveness series, there is a healthy way that we look at things in our past that caused pain, things that people did to us that were wrong. There is a healthy way to handle that and not push it under the rug and forget it. But then there is this existence where we just decide in our minds and in our hearts to reside in the past pain that we've experienced. We just live there. Our existence might be in the presence, our physical existence, but our spiritual, emotional, mental, relational existence is in the past. Now, I said one of these descriptions of an unforgiving person would step on my own toes. This is the one. I can spend hours sitting, thinking about things that have been done and how they were wrong and how things would be different if they hadn't happened. And you know what that does? It robs the people in my life of moment after moment after moment in the present that God could use. And it robs me and the people around me of a future that God wants me to have in my life, free from unforgiveness. The the fourth thing that we see, an unforgiving person seeks revenge and vengeance. See, the ultimate end, those other three descriptions are, are really solid, but the ultimate end that unforgiveness leads us to is acting out, is lashing out. We believe that if we can just make that other person hurt the way that they hurt us, then we'll get some relief. Then the pain will subside at least, and possibly it'll go away if I can just get them to feel what I feel. And how has that ever worked out for you? always leaves us feeling even more pain. So what does a forgiving person look like? Well, let's look at Psalm 130. We're going to go verse by verse, two verses at a time actually, and we're going to watch this psalm describe for us what a forgiving person looks like. Psalm 130 verses 1 and 2 read, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So the psalmist shows us that a forgiving person cries out to God. Step one to become an unforgiving person is to get on your knees. If you can't do that physically, in your soul, get on your knees and cry out to God. Cry out for his mercy. We're going to sing Amazing Grace later. And in that classic hymn, Millions of Christians sing, who saved a wretch like me. Amen? But do we really believe that? I'm not so sure. You know what, Dennis? I believe you believe that, brother. All right. But do we all believe that? A wretch? Really? I'm looking out over the crowd. I've been on campus here for a while. I know a lot of you. You're pretty 
you're okay. You're pretty good people. I look out, I don't see a lot of, and I, I don't see your rap sheets, but when I go to springfieldmugshots.com, I don't see very many of you. Not a lot of rapists and murderers, right? Robbers. You know, I just don't see that when I look out across this crowd. And I wonder if when we sing that lyric, we, we want that connection of feeling like a wretch that saved a wretch like me. But do we? Do we really believe that we're a wretch? Do we really believe that in our heart of hearts lies this selfishness, this pride, this greed, this anger? That we are, while created in the image and likeness of God and have inherent worth and value and we are capable of incredible things, there is another reality called original sin that leads us to, if we're honest with ourselves, believe that we are capable of really hurting someone, if not physically, at least emotionally. Do we believe, like the song sings and like the psalmist cries out, that we need God's mercy? That we so desperately need it. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. T'was grace that taught my heart to, and grace my fears relieved. You see, A forgiving person confesses their sin. They cry out to God in general. They cry out for the mercy of God, but then they get specific. Who could stand? God, if you don't step in here and forgive my sins, I'm in serious trouble. Not only in the next life, but in this one. There is a guy in uh, Church at the Center in the Life Change Plan. Uh, church at the Center is our Sunday night worship service at 5 o'clock. And Tuffy is in the Life Change Plan. There he is. Uh, his name is Truman, but as you can see, he goes by Tuffy. He's kind of a selfie expert. Um, so I'll just leave that with what it is. But at our uh, midweek table, he was talking about verses 3 and 4, about how he walks a mile every morning to the bus stop for his job. He has spent most of his adult life in prison, and he knows on the way to the bus stop, if he doesn't pray, and he does, he's phone in pocket, and he is looking up to God, and he is saying, now I'm paraphrasing Tuffy, but it's verses three and four, who could stand? Like, God, I cannot stand on my own. I cannot figure this out. I have screwed it up time and time again, and who could stand unless you forgive me? Unless you step in and forgive me of my sin. And he confessed the sin of pride. He told me I could share that. (laughs) That pride is his Achilles heel. So the second thing a forgiving person does after crying out is they confess their sin. The third thing we find in verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman waits more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. A forgiving person anticipates reconciliation. Now, I was 
deeply wronged, betrayed by a brother that was very close to me in years past. And I looked at that relationship and I thought to myself, that is never going to see reconciliation. You know what? I understand as a, as a child of God, as a preacher of the gospel, that I have to forgive him, but reconciliation is not going to happen. Like that hurt was too deep. That wrong was too wrong. Sorry. Well, I'm here to report that a year ago, he and I reconciled. He reached out to me in a deep spirit of repentance. And we are now again united as brothers in Christ. But I never saw that coming. <laughs> Yet I have a brother in the blood. I have a blood brother who I deeply wronged at around the time I was coming to faith. Deeply wronged. I'm not sure whether he's forgiven me or not. My texts go unanswered. And I have to tell you, in that relationship, I am like the watchman waiting for the morning. I am believing and I'm anticipating that God's desire is to work in both of our hearts in a way that lead us to that reconciliation that I had with my other brother. What the psalmist is describing here is that a forgiving person believes that forgiveness, if we allow it to happen in our heart, can lead to reconciliation with others. Do we believe that? Are you so shut down and closed off to some people in your past that you not only don't see reconciliation, you honestly don't want reconciliation to happen? And again, later in this series, there is going to be conversation about forgiveness and how in some cases it isn't safe or right to reconcile for the safety of people involved. But for the sake of today, I ask you, do you anticipate reconciliation in relationships? If you're a forgiving person, you do. Verses 7 and 8 reveal the final thing in our description of a forgiving person. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. A forgiving person celebrates redemption. A forgiving person never gets tired of coming in and singing Amazing Grace. A forgiving person looks to the mercy and grace of God and never gets bored celebrating the forgiveness that they've received. Never stops seeing God as Redeemer. Now, a lot of times we... Um, in, uh, as I grew up outside the church, I would hear people talk about God and, and the God that they would describe was oftentimes sort of like the, the angry judge. You know, I need to turn from my sins, turn or burn, were a lot of the conversations I would have with Christians before coming to faith. And this vision that we get through Psalm 130 just now is that when we become forgiven and forgiving people, we celebrate a God that is ready to forgive. Nehemiah 9.17 actually uses those words, ready to forgive. Is that the way that you see God today? Do you see God looking down on you and thinking, man, you blew it again. I have to forgive you. This is so annoying, but you're a believer. Ugh. But you're killing me up here. No, that's not the God we worship. The God we worship is ready to forgive. 
He is longing. He's, he's the father in Luke 15, waiting for the prodigal son to come back on the front porch, looking down the driveway. That's the God we worship. And the forgiving person knows that even when they fall, that they can celebrate a God that is about full redemption, that is ready to forgive our sins. Amen? That's really good news, right? So who doesn't want to be that person, right? That person that is humble, crying out to God. That person that is anticipating, that is confessing. That person that is celebrating. That's a forgiving person sounds like a pretty good person to be, right? So how do we do that? There's a story from Luke chapter 7. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And it is in verses 36 to 50, if you want to look it up later. And the lesson that we learn from that, and the tool that it can give us to become a forgiving person, is that we have to remind ourselves that we need forgiveness far more than what we think that we do. Let me paraphrase the story for you. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. That is a favorite book in the McNally home. Our five and seven-year-old love that book. The 15-year-old's a little past it. But in the story, Jesus is invited over to a Pharisee's house named Simon. Simon is the host, and he is one of the three sitting on the other side of the table. And while they're eating, a woman from the community that everybody knew was a sinner. We don't know what her particular sin was. Likely a prostitute. We don't know, but she was a bad person. And she comes in and she brings this fragrant anointing oil. She drops to Jesus' feet. She breaks the jar open. She is anointing his feet. She is weeping. And she is wiping the tears and the oil on Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, Simon and the other Pharisees are... <gasps> It says that Jesus actually could read their minds and what they were thinking to themselves was if Jesus really knew who this woman was, that he would not be letting her touch him. Jesus, as he was always so prone to do, he jumps in and says, Simon, can I tell you a story? Now, if Jesus asked you that, what are you going to say, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, Jesus. Jesus says, let's say a moneylender owes or is owed 500 from one person and 50 from the other. And he forgives both debts. Which one do you think would be more grateful? Anybody? The one who was forgiven more. That's Simon's response. Jesus says, that is, that is correct. That is accurate. This woman here, whose sins are many, Jesus recognizes that she has sin in her life. This woman here came and she anointed my feet. You didn't even offer to wash my feet. She is lavishing kisses on my feet, in which was the custom at the time you would do the brotherly kiss. You didn't offer me a kiss when, you, when I came in the door. So her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because those who are forgiven much love much. But those who are forgiven little love little. So what is Jesus saying there? Is Jesus saying that Simon has less sin in his life than the woman at his feet? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying there is she gets it. She understands how much she needs the mercy and grace of God, and you guys don't. She's sinful on the outside. You're sinful on the inside. 
If we could put the picture back up there, here's what wrecks me about this story. What wrecks me is I became a Christian almost 10 years ago, and 10 years ago, I was the woman at Jesus's feet, and too often times, I'm the guys across the table now. And I forget that all of the heinous sins of my past, the addiction and the selfishness and the greed separated me from God, sure, and I needed that day of salvation, sure, but now... The selfishness and the pouting that I, I do whenever I don't get my way and the neglecting of doing what I know that I should do because I just want to do something that I want to do, those sins separate me from God just as much today. And the reality is the story teaches us all that we need forgiveness more than we think. Far, far more than we think. And how do we get that forgiveness? How do we find that forgiving God? Well, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, I love how Paul puts, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance, to worship, to forgiveness. Not God's judgment. Is there a judgment day? Yes. Are there two different eternal destinations? Yes, we believe and we teach that. But is that God's motivating factor for us to enter into a relationship with him today and forever and become healthy enough to have relationship with each other? No, that's not what Paul just said. Paul said that don't you understand that while you remain as an unforgiving person, showing the descriptions that we looked at earlier, that don't you realize that he's patient with you, that he's ready to forgive, that he is up in heaven longing to give you that forgiveness, that all you have to do is recognize your need. All you need is need. That's all we need this morning. You see, Jesus cried out for mercy too. You might be thinking, Jesus cried out for mercy? Well, he didn't even sin, right? Jesus did cry out for mercy on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus understood that the way we get our primary need met was through forgiveness. That you and I's deepest need is to be forgiven by God. And then to take, to download that forgiveness, that grace, that gratitude, that mercy, and then offer it freely to others. You're going to get the benefit over the next three weeks of hearing some amazing preaching about forgiveness. This is a huge, huge topic, and that's why we're covering it like we are. But I want to challenge you to not leave today without receiving the forgiveness of God. Do you know the, the forgiveness of God? Have you received it before? But now you're more like Simon on the other side of the table. Maybe one day you were like the woman anointing Jesus' feet, but now you're on the other side of the table. I am too often. And I want to challenge each one of us to leave here a forgiven person. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the offer of forgiveness. 
in our lives. We are overwhelmed that you would do what you did to bring us back into relationship with you. Thank you for the offer of your blessed and sinless son, Jesus. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come to make us forgiving people through the forgiveness that you so freely offer us. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us to cry out for you, to you for mercy, to confess our sin, to anticipate this reconciliation that is coming to us, and to celebrate your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.